Hey, Hillary. Yeah. Host of previously on X-Men, Hillary, is that you? That's me. I have a favor to ask of you. I, okay. Okay. Do you remember the last time when uh, Sarah Jacoby Murphy and I did a whole Dune episode, but we never really told people what Dune was about? In our exuberance, we just dove right in and started talking about the nitty gritty details. Do you remember that? I do remember that. We did it again. But you should have learned from your mistake the first time. I know, I, but we didn't. And I know, as I recall, you know nothing about Dune. And I wondered if you would maybe tell us a little bit about Children of Dune. But I don't. Yeah. I, maybe I just, don't know anything. Just flip that book over and just read me that synopsis. Tell me a little bit what Children of Dune is about. You know what? Sure. Okay. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> All right. The Children of Dune are twin siblings, Leto and Ganima, Atreides, I know that one. Okay. Whose father, the Emperor Paul Wadib, okay. disappeared in the desert wastelands of Arrakis nine years ago. That's Dune Messiah. That's, okay, cool. Yep, yep. okay. Which is after this? No, Dune Messiah, so it's Dune, and then Dune Messiah really plays kind of like the end of the first book, and that's where Paul disappears into the wastelands and then we're into into children of dune and why does it okay that's fine i don't know i don't know like their father the twins possess supernormal abilities their father possesses supernormal abilities yeah it happens okay making them valuable to their manipulative aunt Aaliyah, who rules the empire in the name of house atreides okay there's more facing treason and rebellion on two fronts Aaliyah's rule is not absolute. No, it's not. Okay. The displaced house Corino is plotting to regain the throne. Well, this is just a lot. There's I a know. lot happening. I know. The, okay. So displaced. The house Corino previously displaced. Now plotting to regain the throne while the fanatical Fremen okay. are being provoked into open revolt by an enigmatic figure known only as the Preacher. Mm-hmm. Do you know who the preacher is? Well, I've read all these books, so yeah, I know. Okay. Is it cool? Is it a good reveal? Yeah, it is. Excellent. Aaliyah believes that by obtaining the secrets of the twins' prophetic visions, she can maintain control over her dynasty, and she's their aunt. She is, yeah. She's Paul's little sister. She's Paul's little sister. Yes. Paul from the first book. Yeah. Okay. Paul. Paul. Of Dune, Yeah. But Leto and Ganema, who are the twins, yeah. have their own plans for their visions and their destinies. Dun, dun, dun. Wow, okay. How does that, that help? I mean, your pronunciation aside, the facts, I think, were really good. You laid out what? what's going to happen. Do you, I thought it was pretty good. Do you feel like now you have an understanding of what Children of Dune is about? Fully, yes, a full okay. and complete understanding Great. Of, Great. All, of, of just the whole world. I think. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you do. Fair warning to listeners, we do get into some spoiler territory in this segment a little later on, but I'll, I'll tip in a little bit of a spoiler alert so you'll know. But if you haven't read Children of Dune, you might want to tap out once we really start getting into it. Okay, Hillary, you can go back to whatever you were doing before I interrupted Boiling your life. Water. Boiling oh. water. Okay, all right. Yep, get to it. Okay. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for tuning into House Things, a podcast and radio show from the David A. Howe Public Library, recorded right here in Wellsville, New York. Today, it's finally happened after multiple years and a year of buildup. We're doing Dooney Toony Dune. It's me and my friend, Sarah Jacoby Murphy. Sari, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Nick. Always happy to talk about Dune with you. Are you? That's good but to hear. I am. Yeah, I, I, it's been a long road, but yeah. um, I'm glad we're here. Yeah, I am too. I am too. You know, I listened to our last Dune episode because I have very foggy memories of it. Because as you recall, I was deeply affected with COVID. I was actually worried about tonight. I wasn't sure if, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If you start getting weird. I'll, um, yeah. If I'm, if I seem feverish or if I'm <laughs> lilting one way or the other, you know, you know what's happening. <laughs> Amazing thing though, because the last time we recorded this, all of us were vaccinated. You know, I was the only one who had COVID, but we were all in a confined space together for hours watching Dune and nobody else got sick. It was just me. Yeah. Which makes you wonder like, did watching Dune prevent us from getting sick? I think it played a part. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe like space exposure somehow yeah. through the screen. Caused... I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. The last time we good. talked, we had both read Dune. Now we've gone the distance on the original trilogy, and I did a little extra credit. Mm -hmm. so, so we will get to that in a minute. But I feel like I have to be upfront about something with you, Sarah, and that is I'm so hungry. <laughs> it's just it's been one of those days where i keep pushing lunch back later and later and then i'm like well i can't have lunch at four o'clock that's crazy you know but now basically what's happened is i've eaten a croissant with jam and that's pretty much the extent of my food journey today so <laughs> i hope i don't get hangry if it's not COVID, it's something else i know <laughs> i know I know. What about you? Are you have you have you had a, a lovely? I'm lunch well fed. Yeah, I, Sally and I actually just got back from eating dinner out because we went to get a Christmas tree, um, and <gasps> the Christmas tree place was closed. Oh no! Extremely disappointing. But we we ended up finding a nice little restaurant that was playing lots of good Christmas okay. music. Um, yeah. So it was a it was a sorry replacement, but um, I, it means I'm very full. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Now, you've name-dropped your wife, Sally Jacoby Murphy, who listeners know as the Queen of Halloween. When last you were here, you had never listened to an episode of this podcast that Sally and I did together. And I'm wondering if the same is true this year. Still true. Still true. I hate to disappoint, Nick. I really wouldn't no, want fine. anything, you know? No, no. <laughs> I what people uh, expect of me now. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, you got to write it out. You know what I'm just realizing, Sarah? You and I both lived in different places the last time we recorded a Dune episode together. We have both moved to new houses since then. That is true, yeah. yeah. Old houses, too. That's true. That is true. Did reading Dune together precipitate this change in our life? I Probably. Probably. I think, yeah. yeah. I don't think we can rule it out. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's that's what we've been reading over the last couple of years. I want to know in the immediate past what you've been reading. So let's open up our books and see where our bookmarks are at. Sarah, last time we talked, and it's been you know a year plus, you were reading a Marcel Proust book, and I wonder if you if you did it. Did you finish it? So I made it through. Are you trying to shame me right now? <laughs> no, I just I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> no, so I made it through like the first, I guess it'd be the first volume of okay. the book. So I so it sort of like was its own beginning yeah. section. Um and then I stopped and and uh, I haven't been tempted to pick it up again. Never looked back. Yeah, never looked back. Never looked back. Yeah. That's I, okay. I like to think I will come back to it someday though. I, I like to think you will too. 
<laughs> I like to think you will too. Do, do you have more bookshelves at your new house? Do you have more capacity to have books on your shelves that you will someday read? I do, actually. I have an entire poetry shelf now. I have a wow. shelf entirely dedicated to religion and religious oh, studies. Okay. And then two big ones of miscellaneous. Well, one is all nonfiction and the other is sort of the hodgepodge of extra books. So I love I love me some built-in bookshelves. It's still not enough. Well, we ours aren't actually book built in. So someday that's like a someday Forget goal. Forget about it. Jeez. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, but somehow, yeah, I, I got two different new bookshelves since moving here, and it's still not enough for my books. I okay. don't know. I don't I know relate. how. I don't know. I can how. relate. I've got boxes of books all over my house, my garage, my basement. So I, I understand. I understand. And we even did a purge when we moved. I got rid of a bunch. And then we did like Wellsville had a big community yard sale and we did a yard sale and I moved a lot of books. Still have a ton. And I run a big library, Sarah. So you'd think <laughs> I'd have my fill. You don't have any excuse for owning books, Nick. <laughs> I know. I know. You're right. You're right. One, one last bit of housekeeping before we move on from last year. You said you'd never read a comic book and you were maybe going to try Wonder Woman Earth One. Did that happen? That did happen. So, <laughs> well, um, so I think you would actually be proud that that is the only um, book, quote unquote, that I have read this entire fall. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. And so what did you think? So, for people without context, uh, we bought a fixer upper. So, I've been yeah. extremely busy doing yeah. the fixer upping part. So, I haven't really read anything, but I just, I did just read. Uh, wonder woman earth one volume yeah. one and it was good yeah it was interesting i don't know what i expected but i i didn't really understand wonder woman's backstory mm. although i did watch the movie so did the movie not get in like this just this is totally different than the movie right yeah it is it is so earth one if you're not familiar with the line it's a it's a series of graphic novels that dc comics does that are sort of their own thing so they're not connected to the other graphic novels or comics history they're kind of like a you know a remix of some classic characters telling origin stories and things like that. And the Wonder Woman origin in that is is quite different. But I, I liked it. I think it kind of honored the the spirit of of the comics. Wonder Woman, truthfully, if you ever look into it, there's a whole movie just about this, has kind of a kinky origin. Like the creator of Wonder Woman had a whole weird thing going on. And some of those things kind of make their way into various iterations of Wonder Woman. And definitely some of that was represented here in Grant Morrison's uh, take on the origin. Yeah, interesting. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to get volume two and beyond. Yeah. So I'll have to uh, check in yeah. with my local library and see about That's right. Uh, That's right. Well, I know at the David A. Howe Public Library, we have all three volumes of Wonder Woman Earth One. <laughs> I don't think either of the next two are nearly as good as the first one. Mm. So, you know, with a grain of salt, take that. Maybe that's true of the Dune trilogy that we'll get to in a minute maybe <laughs> i i also read a graphic novel i read supergirl by peter david uh and it's a, it's a weird trippy 90s comic there's a whole thing with like demons and stuff not what i was expecting from a supergirl comic weird. don't know that i'll read volume two but what uh does that I happen didn't. a lot to have sort of like spiritual villains mixed with superhero world I mean, occasionally but this one was really out of left field it was a bizarre version of supergirl so I don't know. I'd never read it because of that, because I was always like, that seems weird. And then I read it and was like, yeah, it was. It really was. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm currently reading Come Together by John Weiner. This is a it's it's a book about John Lennon, but it's not really like a biography. It's more about post Beatle years and John's political activism and stuff. So it's been interesting so far because I've read, you know, I've read a bunch of Beatles stuff. And so like there's not a whole lot of new information. 
-hmm. but i think kind of the laser focus of this is yeah i'm actually like reading things that i hadn't read before so that's fun i like that are you a biography person I am, you know, I go through spurts, you know, where I like that's all I want to read for a while, and then I'll I'll get away from it. This one, my wife and I just had our uh, our 16th anniversary, and we were in Ithaca, and there's a cool Ooh. bookstore there, yeah. And there was a bunch of John Lennon stuff, and yeah. this one just kind of stood out to me, so I grabbed it and have been reading it. But yeah, yes. it's pretty good. And then I'm reading the Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. Have you read Salman Rushdie at all? Um, I haven't, and I should especially mm -hmm. given the events of the of the past year right um, yeah because when was when was uh the satanic verses written was that 70s okay. yeah i want to say 70s early 80s something like that yeah and, and um no you should let me know how that is because i i think i'd be interested to read it and certainly the cultural impact of that book is, is yeah pretty great. yeah i mean it's interesting so far i'm not deep enough into it to really like give you you know i'm probably a hundred or so pages into like a 700 page book so mm -hmm. but but i am liking it uh, all the reviews and stuff that i'd read about it was like it's tricky to follow and that's true there's some truth to that i've a couple of times kind of gone and looked up like okay what is the plot okay i'm with you i'm with you you know and once you kind of get it straight in your head it's it's easier to go through but i've always wanted to read selvin rushdie my wife read um Oh, what's it called? Midnight's Children, I think it is. And she actually met Salman Rushdie oh, cool. at an event um, years back now and had some book signs and stuff for him and everything. So I'd always wanted to. And so now the time has come. So I'll keep you posted on how it goes. Please do. Are you watching anything good? It's the holidays. Have you started Christmas movies? We, um, you know, it's funny because I feel like the last time we did a high uh, uh, podcast, I had a lot of highbrow content to share. Mm. <laughs> uh, we've been watching Hallmark movies and sign. Okay. <laughs> all right i will I, seinfeld is just one of those shows where like if i happen if there's like a clip that starts playing on social media or youtube or something or like i happen to be somewhere where we're flipping through channels and it comes on i can't help but watch the whole thing i love it well and i've never watched it the whole way through so oh, so okay. has watched it for many times and i've i've certainly seen like yeah. a lot of the episodes but um we started at the beginning probably in may and we've just been like working through them sort of in waves like yeah there's some nights where or, you know some weeks where we watch it every day and then others where we don't watch it for a while but um uh, yeah i mean it is it is also funny because i had a friend growing up who really loved seinfeld and yeah. as i watch through it they'll say things sometimes and i realize that these lines that i thought were my <laughs> friend's lines are actually, are actually yeah. just from seinfeld <laughs> yeah it was like I, when I read Harry Potter like two years ago and I it, it was like this cultural awakening inside my brain. Yeah, you finally understand things. Yeah. I skipped my, uh, I don't remember what year it was. I think Seinfeld went off in like 98 or something like that. So I was probably a junior or senior in high school and I skipped our final choir concert to watch it. Like I did my part and then there was like other classes were going and they were like, you're not allowed to leave. And I was like, okay, <laughs> get off and watch the finale of Seinfeld. <laughs> Do you regret you're it? No, I and don't. Don't give spoilers would, about the finale. I would I do it again, all over again. Uh, I love that story your wife has about meeting the guy who did the music for Seinfeld. Do you know that? I don't think I do know it. Oh, she met the guy who did the music for Seinfeld, and he, he wanted like a quote for Seinfeld, and she did the one with Elaine and the Christmas card. You know, you want to, here's your oh. Christmas card. You want a Christmas card? And he was like, <laughs> you understand the humor <laughs> of Seinfeld. And that was, that always cracked me up, but. No, she did tell me that. I, I just forgot okay. about it. You got it. Yeah. You're back. You're back into it. Okay, so you're watching Seinfeld. You're watching Hallmark Christmas movies. Which one of those has risen to the top? <laughs> like, um, has, there, has there been a particularly good, and I mean good in the in the Hallmark standard of good, 
Christmas movie that you've watched? They all blend together. I mean, they're kind of like yeah. one big glob of Hallmark movie. And I say Hallmark really lightly. I'm talking about the Netflix movies that they oh, released. I see. I like see. the cheesy, okay. whatever, you know, Hallmark Little Age. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me think. Well, there's the, have you watched them at all? Uh, I, n- n- no, I watched The Happiest Season, but that's a Hulu thing with uh, Kristen Stewart. Yeah, we watched that last year, actually. I thought it was pretty good. Did you like it? Yeah, we liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always like Kristen Stewart and what is his name? Yeah. Dan Levy from uh, Schitt's Creek. Always. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd watch him do anything. Yeah. Spirited over on Apple was pretty good. That's so it's a musical take on a Christmas Carol with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. And it was surprisingly good. Interesting. I felt like it was kind of a, a new take. Yeah. Mm, we should watch it. I also liked Black Adam. I know you're not a comic book movie lady, but uh, Black Adam was one of those movies that I just didn't have any interest in watching. And I forced my wife to watch it. And we both were like, huh, that was actually pretty action-packed and fun. Go figure. So there you go. A good time. <laughs> yeah. Black Adam was, uh, was, a good, was a good time. All right. Uh, let's roll into some book news. Let's see what's going on over in the, uh, the book world here. Log into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. So are you a, 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 I'm an avid Goodreads user. I see you pop up on there sometimes. How, how do you, you like Goodreads? You know, when I'm, when I'm reading a lot, I like Goodreads because it helps me not only keep track, but I, I don't know, you know, it just keeps me moving on things, yeah. which is good. I hate having a book stuck in my currently reading section. I want it out. Yeah. Well, so, so again, this is like a very, you know, it's just been a weird year. So honestly, yeah. um, I have like three books stuck in my haven't finished section and they've just been sitting yeah. there for a long time. And, and so oh, I don't I like logging into Goodreads right now. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I feel like the listeners maybe don't have a full understanding of your situation. You say you bought a fixer upper, but you and Sally have basically been a living, breathing TLC, like remodel special <laughs> for the last year. Like you both of your Instagrams and everything is just sort of like, look, a new transformation. And frankly, I don't understand it. Like I see the before and after pictures and I believe you that it's the same place, but my mind can't. Make the well, thank you, thank you for saying that. I mean, I hopefully taking this year essentially off of reading, watching any yeah. good movies, <laughs> doing anything of importance in the world other than working yeah. on this house. Uh, hopefully, it's worth it in the long run. Yes, but definitely, yeah. definitely, it is because I don't know. There's just something so peaceful about being in a place that you like in a that's a way that you like it. You know what I mean? Like that. Just yeah. yes, I think it is worth it. I co-sign your decision. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Anyway, I bring up Goodreads because the Goodreads Choice Awards are going on right now. And that's where they put together, you know, a list of like, whatever. I don't even know how they do it. Probably bestsellers and whoever pays to get their book included. I don't know. But I always find it kind of useful just as as I'm purchasing for the library or whatever. Because oftentimes Mm -hmm. I'll look at the categories and be like, well, I missed that one. I haven't seen that one, you know. So I'd read, you know, there were several categories where I'd read at least one book. But I always like to watch that. The voting's happening right now, so that's a good time. So you can check out that on Goodreads. And now, Sarah, I will share with you the combined print and ebook bestsellers for December 11th, 2022. They are as follows. Number 10, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, a scientist and single mother living in California in the 1960s, becomes a star on a TV cooking show. Got a great cover. Number nine, 12 weeks on the list, Fairy Tale by Stephen King. A high school kid inherits a shed that is a portal to another world where good and evil are at war. Again, that's just the Chronicles of Narnia. A little side note, though, this just made me think of it. Maybe I should okay. 
about fairy tale by Stephen King, but uh, this this house that we bought, yes, uh, there are six sheds there, and I, huh. and I haven't fully explored them, so mm. all of them are in a state, and I could imagine there being a portal to hell, a portal there to where good and evil are at war. <laughs> it oh seems likely. God. I mean, you've seen them; you haven't explored them either, but you know, I haven't. It feels possible. I feel like every time I looked at one, three or four cats came out of it, and I just I got distracted. So well, it would make sense how many cats are coming out of the sheds if there yeah. were a portal potentially. That's, you know what? Actually, we might have just proven your theories accurate. <laughs> Number eight, new this week by Danielle Steele. The Whittiers, after tragedy strikes, six adult children return to the family home without their parents for the first time. Sounds dramatic. That's kind of interesting. I like a good sibling multi-generational kind of story never read a daniel Steele. what about you i have not either but i i agree with you that actually sounds like something that might be enjoyable yeah yeah it's got a good vibe i asked about daniel Steele because last time i didn't ask you about nicholas sparks and it turns out you'd read a bunch of nicholas sparks so i thought maybe daniel Steele <laughs> was going to be a nicholas sparks <laughs> three i said at least three at least three okay. if that counts as a lot maybe it's more maybe it's more but yeah but yeah no daniel Steele though not no daniel Steele. Okay, number seven, uh, 46 weeks on the list. This has been here forever. Oh. Ugly Love by Colleen Hoover. Take Collins and Miles Archer, an airline pilot, think they can handle no strings attached arrangements. But spoiler alert, Sarah, they can't. <laughs> they need those strings. Now, how about that Gosh. one? Does that, you do you want to read? I mean, you've had 46 weeks, right? I don't. Basically, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> we were talking about this on a recent episode. Colleen Hoover just seemed to sort of explode onto the scene. And like, even her books from, five years ago or whatever like everybody wants them i don't i don't get it I, we have them you can come check yeah. them out i don't i don't know why but you can number six six weeks on the list the boys from biloxi by one jonathan grisham two childhood friends follow in their father's footsteps which puts them on opposite sides of the law curious yeah number five oh brother 188 weeks on the list this book Yikes. where the crawdads sing by Delia Owens. In a quiet town on the North Carolina coast in 1969, a young woman who survived alone in the marsh becomes a murder suspect. Have you read Where the Crawdads Sing? I don't. And you know, there was, I didn't want to read it. And then it's been on the bestseller list for so long that I thought yeah. maybe I do want to read it. And then I read what it's about and I saw the trailer for the movie. Oof. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to read it. I don't know, though, Sarah, because it kind of reads like a Nicholas Sparks novel. It's even set in North Carolina. There's romance and tragedy. I don't know. Could you could find it. it to be a guilty pleasure. <laughs> I'm sorry to repeat this again, gang, but I, it, it's very it's so readable. It is. It's not a great book, but you sit down and you just fly right through it. You know, so there is something about it. Number four. Yeah, here we go. Number four, 51 weeks on the list. Verity, again, by Colleen Hoover. Lowen Ashley is hired by the husband of an injured writer to complete her popular series and uncovers a horrifying truth. <gasps> the I truth, do you know? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Number three, 76 weeks on the list. Here we go again. It ends with us by, any guesses, Sarah? <sighs> Colleen okay, Hoover. It's Colleen Hoover. Oh. it's Colleen Hoover again. A battered <laughs> wife raised in a violent home attempts to halt the cycle of abuse. Number two, new this week, The Choice by Nora Roberts, the third book in the Dragonheart Legacy series. Breen Siobhan Kelly confronts darkness during her first Christmas in both Talmuth and Ireland. Wow, dragons and Christmas. Hmm, I like it. Not against no, that. No. Number one, six weeks on the list. It starts with us. It's an easy guess, Sarah. Do you know who wrote it? 
Colleen, what's her name? Yes, Colleen, what's her name? In the sequel to It Ends With Us, Lily deals with her jealous ex-husband and she reconnects with her first boyfriend. So so what have your, like, have your patrons been talking about Colleen Hoover? Do you have any sort of ideas about what this is about? Is she spending a lot of money on this or is she actually very good? I don't know. I don't know. Allie and I were talking about this a few weeks back and we both sort of had the same impression independently that they are soapy and maybe a little sexy mm, a little racy a little racy yeah so it might be it might be that it makes sense that uh they're so high on the combined ebook fiction then because ebook yeah. is where people go for the things that are a little racy the racy content so. these are the library uh, tidbits that uh, yeah regular folk us patrons we don't get this you don't know it's oh, a peek yeah. behind the curtain <laughs> It's a peek behind the curtain, yeah. Which you got to be careful of peeking behind curtains in your house because the, there could just be a hole that opens to the outside. So you really have to watch it. I think we've mostly patched those. But... Have you? Okay. <laughs> Any curtain, at least two cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Sarah, let's get to it. Let's talk about let's talk about Dune. Dune. Yeah, we covered this last time, but Dune was a, a book that I always wanted to read. It was uh, I bought a little trilogy box set at an antique store in Arcade, New York, while I was in college, and then I set them on a shelf for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Then you and I started talking about Dune. We started reading Dune together, and here we are at the end of the journey. So tell me which ones you've read. So I've read Dune, Dune Messiah, and Children of Dune as okay. a purist, as a Frank yeah. Herbert purist. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's where you got to stop. I understand. So I read the three of those. I also read Paul of Dune, which was written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson and Winds of Dune. So Paul of Dune takes place in between Dune and Dune Messiah with flashbacks to a young Paul and Leto. And then Winds of Dune takes place between Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. So we talked we talked a little bit about Paul of Dune last time. I think that one was I would probably say worth the read just for like funsies. It's not like, oh, you have to read it. but reading it right after dune i found the writing to be a little bit more approachable and i was i was able to kind of contextualize some of the stuff from the first book it helped me sort of bridge some gaps that i was kind of like oh i get it now so i did like that winds of dune uh no not so much winds of dune didn't really i think they're so desperate to have paul in the story that we had a lot of flashbacks and there was a point where paul and one of his friends literally run away and join the circus and i was like mm. <laughs> <laughs> were um, these was this idea in frank herbert's notes i think Wait a maybe <laughs> i think maybe uh maybe i'm done with the kevin j anderson dune books but let me give you the originals okay we have dune 1965 dune mm-hmm. messiah 1969 children of dune 1976 so a little bit of a gap there god emperor of dune 1981 heretics of dune 1984 chapter house dune 1985 and then Frank Herbert dies, I want to say, in like 1986. So like right after it. Decades later, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, well, Brian, I assume, did the searching, but they found notes uh, in, in Frank Herbert's handwriting that were like Dune 7 and Dune 8. And they mm-hmm. used that to sort of string out the final uh, stories in, in sort of the original saga. So probably if you were a purist, you'd just read the six. But you might add in Hunters and Sandworms of Dune just to sort of like get the full round art. out. The, yeah. How many Dune books in total do you know? Like with oh, Brian's 
probably 20. I mean, there's several trilogies and they're still coming out. Like one just came out uh, in October of 2022. Oh, I did not know so, that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe going strong. Make it that far. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think so. They're still going pretty strong. Like it seems like they are. So mm. when we talked last, I had only read Dune, but you had read Dune and Dune Messiah. And mm -hmm. you said at the time that you felt like those two books together made a more complete picture than just stopping Dune. Do you agree? I do. That was one thing I thought, like I thought of that as I finished Dune Messiah and was like, this is a much more satisfying conclusion. It's like Dune, I don't know. Dune Messiah really reads more like an extended epilogue, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. in, in a way that I think has a more satisfying oomph. And honestly, I don't know that I really felt like Children of Dune was worth it. What do you think? Yeah, I... Oh, what were my feelings on Children of Dune? I mean, I had... <laughs> <laughs> so, so one observation, even just talking about the end of Dune, yeah. is coming to the end of Children of Dune, it felt very similar in that the ending just felt really abrupt. It was kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. And it was confusing. Like, it happened so quickly... And it felt like there were a lot of threads that he didn't really tie up very well or didn't yeah. tie up for whatever reason. But but yeah, I mean, beyond beyond that, I think Children of Dune, it felt a little more confusing for sure. Mm -hmm. And I have some like gripes with kind of the overall premise of the book. Yeah. But it also just was kind of like, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was enjoyable in some ways. I will say like the transformation of Leto was wild. Yeah. Leto Jr. we're talking about. Yep. Like that just felt like out of left field. Like Frank Herbert had this like in the back of his mind and then he was like, guess what? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, is yeah. this the same? Is this pot? Like what's happening? Am I supposed yeah. to believe this guy is like turning into, I don't know. It was, it was yeah. just a strange wild yeah. choice. Well, Did not see the thing that's, I don't know. I, I felt this way a little bit about all three of the Dune books, but I felt it particularly with Children of Dune where like I read the book and then I went and I read sort of a synopsis, uh, like analysis of the book. And reading the synopsis kind of broken down in a linear way, I was kind of like, these are a lot of very interesting themes to explore. Like, yeah. again, multi-generational you have going on and you have things kind of paying off generations later and stuff. And that's cool. And that's interesting. I read an interview with Frank Herbert when he was talking about the question was basically like, now that Dune is just this legendary thing, now that it's, you know, even during his lifetime, you know, by the, by the mid 80s, it had already become this like thing. You know, Children of Dune was the first bestseller from the sci-fi genre. So like, mm -hmm. even within his lifetime, the first Dune had become this revered book of fiction. And, and the question was put to him, like, what do you think about that? Like, how does that, how does that impact you? How does that make you feel about the series? And he was just kind of blown away by it. And he said, in that, in that interview, he said that he'd written portions of Children of Dune and Dune Messiah before he even finished the original Dune. So it's like he had this whole like long generational story kind of in his mind. And it, I got the vibe, and I couldn't really find specifics about this, but I kind of got the sense that like he had teased out the, the long, long versions of these stories and kind of use that to influence writing that first book. So that to me explained a little bit why sometimes it feels a little fragmented and why it feels like why these endings feel so abrupt and things, because 
in his mind, like he's kind of already written, you know, like the continuation because they're all kind of overlapping with each other in the writing process, which to me seems like would be crazy confusing. Yeah, which, and now that makes sense to me too. I mean, it's funny because even describing that process, it sounds like the way that he describes the experience of being like Paul or Leto where they're having all these like multi-visions happening in their heads at all times and like trying to exist in the world and their weird, obscure conversations with the people around them. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I will say like one thing that I, I I think my biggest gripe with the book and and let me know if, if you had this thought too, but um, the idea that the terraforming of Dune is essentially destroying the habitat of the sandworms, which is going to destroy basically the, um, the like society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> society, uh, because it will impact spice spreading so, so much. Right. And, and so my first thought with that was maybe I'm taking this a little personal because, uh, for, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I dressed up as Liet Kynes at the Fred and Harriet Taylor Memorial library, um, fundraiser this yeah. past year so, oh, so we'll a picture. don't you worry yeah <laughs> i'm a little protective of the imperial planetary ecologist I know you are um, I know you are but <laughs> but so leah kinds of course has this whole plan and in dune all of the fremen who are the you know original people of arrakis they're they're working you know what is this like a generations long plan yeah. towards terraforming dune and you know just making it a habitable place for plants and whatever yeah so you would think someone who's an ecologist would have a plan for making sure that the desert and the function yeah. it serves isn't destroyed. Like that's just like a pretty basic. I think that's step one. Things yeah. are interconnected. Yeah. What can we get rid of? What needs to stay? Right. And then the right. other side of it is that Lee at Kynes was uh, worked for the Imperium <laughs> and the Imperium definitely doesn't want spice production to seize or right. even become less. Yeah. So it just felt really unrealistic and, and yeah. like a weird choice for that to be the driving plot. You know, it is, it is because essentially it's like the whole world is sand. Do we need it? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, <laughs> exactly. Pro- probably. Yeah. You probably do. You probably do for your society. I can't help but feel a little bit like the series becomes a bit of a run on sentence, you know, like, the thing that's so great about the ending of Dune Messiah, I think, is that it it leaves a lot to the imagination. It leaves it, it's not a tidy ending by any means, mm-hmm. but the stuff that it dangles is the kind of stuff that's sort of interesting to think about. You know, it's kind of yeah. like I wonder what happened next. I wonder if this ever resolves. Whereas, like the first book and Children of Dune, end in a way that's like dissatisfying. It just yeah. it doesn't give you enough to really like form thoughts on yourself it feels like there is another couple of chapters and he just forgot to send them to the editor you know but i just kind of wonder with the way the story and the characters are structured like can you write a satisfying ending like doesn't it sort of necessitate that the ending is going to be and they continued on you know like i don't know how you can be like thousand years yeah yeah really though I, i don't see how you could do it so maybe that's part of the problem maybe that's why it's as popular as it is i don't know but it just kind of seems like it just keeps going i mean i i do i do just sort of feel like he is um and again this is my experience with two out of three of his books so 66 Mm percent of the material Mm -hmm. i have engaged with i i I think he's not necessarily the best at endings yes but even because even the ending of uh children of dune it's like spoilers spoilers but because even, even the ending of uh, Children of Dune, it's like 
Paul is killed in the square. And that's it. Yeah. They talk about Leto too, like having his water or whatever beside him on the throne. But I just feel like Paul just dies. Yeah. This character that we've been, you know, so like the, right. the entire series has been, has been sort of based around him. And yeah. that's just it. Like he's just dead. That's, and it, yeah. that also to me felt a little bit like we've already ended a book with essentially the death of Paul, you know, unlike. Mm -hmm here let's let's do it again you know and obviously it's more final this time but yeah there was something about that too that i sort of felt like okay you know like <laughs> him the thought of him just kind of being out there is interesting and then like tying that yeah. up like that's the thing they choose to tie up did feel a little bit like a misstep to me i couldn't help but feel while reading children of dune that it's like watching the later seasons of a tv show and like all the stars have left you know, it's kind of like, yeah. yeah, there's things you like, there's characters that you still kind of like, but it doesn't so much have a center anymore. And that's, I feel like Children of Dune really kind of struggled with that. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I definitely agree. And I think, um, cause I, and I never liked Paul to be fair, but, um, Paul was a little more interesting than Leto. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, yes, I think, I think if you had to like, if you had to choose a main character of this book, you would say, you know, Leto the second, but like, I don't know. I mean, you could, you could kind of make an argument for Jessica and Alia and like, I think that's the problem. Like you're right. Paul's not a great character on his own, but like narratively and structurally in those stories, he serves as a centerpiece. And without him, I don't really feel like anybody's elevated to take that mantle, you know? I, yeah. I agree that's a thing that I have. Like, I like to have, I like to have like a central like lead and this kind of thing, something to kind of anchor you. And that that's where I struggled here. Mm -hmm. So, so the other thing I thought was interesting about this was that with what they seem to be saying about Paul and I haven't read, I read like a little bit after finishing the book um, about it, but so like Paul didn't see far enough into the future. Right. So he was short sighted, but then he also understood that in order to really achieve peace or to avoid like total human extinction that he would have to do the thing which later the second did which is to essentially become a sandworm right, right. <laughs> which is not where i saw this going not i have I to say that was not what i thought but it felt like it, it felt like there was no um and may, maybe you would disagree with me here but reading dune and dune messiah i, I there was no indication of that like it sort of felt like no. if this was the turn we were gonna take which is like i i was floored when i when i got there because i was like this is crazy but if this is the turn we're gonna take you you kind of want to have all these moments that you think back to they're like oh wow so that's why paul said yeah. that like that's what paul right. was talking about right none right. of that existed Some, so just felt like more with the fremen you know because the fremen kind of had the relationship with or, you know at least they had more interaction with the sandworms than the others and like something in their religion or something in their beliefs could have been kind of a push in that direction but you hear so much about paul and being the quizex hatterack and all that stuff nowhere in there yeah i agree it it, it just doesn't seem to be layered in early enough and when you consider that he's kind of overlapping the writing and stuff, that's that's weird to me. Mm -hmm. One thing that I felt, even in the first book, I mean, it technically is sci-fi because of, you know, it's set on in our world and it's set like in the future and all that stuff. So it makes it more sci-fi than like a straight up fantasy novel. 
but even so it it really skirts the line of of fantasy and sci-fi by the time we get to the end of children of dune we're full-on fantasy novel yeah you know like yeah. it, i really think it ceases to be a sci-fi novel and like with leto doing what he's gonna do becomes much more fantastical mm-hmm. you know i agree with you and i think maybe that's why it felt a little bit weird is um it's not just yeah. that i didn't see it coming but it it just felt like there was no foundation for this to yeah. happen that, yeah. that said, so when it happened, and for people who haven't read it, there's this moment where Leto the Second, who's like this nine-year-old kid, although he's not a kid because he has the memories of countless ancestors. Right. Um, yeah. He goes out into the desert and lets these little creatures called sand trout just sort of start eating him or they're like mouthing along his body, essentially. Mm-hmm. And eventually they all, they, they keep they keep coming up his arms and like attaching to him and they end up covering his body and creating this sort of right impenetrable suit that gives him superhuman powers. It's a very upsetting thing. <laughs> I don't know. It's I, I I didn't I wasn't a fan of that. But yeah. Yeah, it was a little it was a little hard to read. Um but it was interesting. It was. I, mean, I would say it was interesting. Yeah. So that's what happens. So these sand trout climbing up his arms and he transforms into this like he's still a human, Whatever. but yeah. but what will happen is that he'll become more and more animal, so to speak. Yeah. This weird hybrid that no longer thinks like a human um, and is biolog- biologically no longer a human. Um, yeah. It w- and I, I wasn't a huge fan of it in terms of the plot of the book, but uh, then I went and looked up the fan art. <laughs> and I was like, this is actually pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm into this. I would watch a rendition of this on screen. And apparently okay. there is a miniseries, actually. Yeah, the Children of Dune miniseries with uh, James McAvoy, it encompasses parts of Dune Messiah as well. I know, I kind of felt the same thing. I, I'd like to see it. I wonder what you thought. I can't remember if you said this in the last episode or just when we were talking in our real lives, but you weren't thrilled with the way the women were portrayed. And I wondered how you felt about that in the second, like in the in the later half here in Children of Dune. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think he improved in that department anymore. I, I yeah. think... Women are interesting and they're powerful, but they're still always the last to figure out what's happening or mm. even someone like Aaliyah who becomes possessed, which is fine. Like someone had to become possessed, right? <laughs> someone right. had to be abomination. But it just always feels like, you know, Jessica could be so cool and she is so cool, but he always portrays her as just being like a little bit slow. Like, he's yeah. like, oh, yeah, she's so wise and smart. But then the way she actually behaves doesn't always reflect that. Like, the men are right. smarter. And that's what we with Anima, too. Yeah. Even in the first book, there's almost kind of a, like, wow, she's she can almost keep up with Leto. That's great. You know what <laughs> exactly. I mean? Yeah, truly, truly. Yeah. Uh, that's how I felt yeah. with, I, I always want to say Ganima. My my audiobook that I listened to said Ganima. Um, but so, Ganima. Ganima. Yeah. So it was sort of the same with her, where she is exactly the same as Leto the second, right? Like. And yeah, Ganima and Leto are the children of Paul. I don't think we said that, but yeah, and so they're go. they're twins. They have the same yeah. sort of like mental powers and like all of these yeah. things. Like they are on the same playing field. But she doesn't play that big of a role. And and even at the end of the book, she's like, well, one of us had to, you know, have this and yeah. eat them. <laughs> right. Um, this weird yeah. monstrous super god person. And yeah. I was like, well, why yeah, not yeah. Ganima? <laughs> right. And that, I mean, I think, I think story-wise, that would have been more interesting if it was her, mm-hmm. you know, for it to just be Leto is kind of like, yeah, whatever. But Aaliyah, I guess, was the one that I was most, I, I don't know, I guess after, after um, 
Messiah, I kind of thought that she was going to take the mantle and really kind of be the lead of the series for yeah. the next book. That's what I was expecting. And she's so, I mean, she, I guess she's not really benched, but she's not the center of the action. You know, and as you said, with the possession and the abomination, she's kind of taken out of play as far as the push of the narrative goes. Mm -hmm. And I, I was disappointed by that. I was disappointed too. And I, and I think so at the end, I guess, I don't know if we're doing spoiler alerts or not, but I think we've, we've already said <laughs> we Paul killed him pretty... <laughs> and Leto becomes a giant uh, worm monster. So yeah, I think the ship has sailed. Well, so Aaliyah, like, you know, so she becomes possessed by her grandfather, who is this really like malevolent figure in the original books right. or in the earlier books. Right. But at the end, even under his influence, she's able to like neutralize herself essentially by throwing herself yeah. out the window and, and killing herself. <laughs> and it should have been like, you know, and that's like a like that's sort of common to have these people who are good characters who are taken over by some evil force and then they do yeah. the right thing at the very end. And that can be like yeah. so powerful and like so profound. But I feel like it wasn't that powerful and wasn't that profound, at least for my experience as a reader, because no, I think you're right. throughout the book, it just didn't seem like she was struggling with him very much. Like, I felt like we didn't get enough insight into her character throughout the possession no. to feel any sympathy or even be rooting for her at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of felt like a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Well, again, doing. I feel like this is a character who, when all of that happens, she kind of ceases to become a character. And it's more about how that stuff moves the plot. She becomes like a plot device instead of a character. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Agreed. So I was disappointed. I was disappointed with that. I don't know. You know, like I, I just go back and forth on these books. I guess I still, I feel like the thing that you said last time is the thing that I most feel about these books that Dune and Dune Messiah together make a really satisfying read. You know, and mm -hmm. I think that like that's a that's a perfect place to walk away. Yeah. You know, because I think I think the openness that you end on Messiah on has a lot of like, wow, so much more crazy things are going to happen. But like, you don't need it. You know, I think that's really good. Now that we're in it, as far as we're in it, Sarah, <laughs> are you going to do more? Like, do you think you're going to think you're going to move on to God Emperor of Doom? Yeah, I mean, well, so Sally picked it up at one point and a little old me not knowing who the weird worm man on the front was. I was like, what could this possibly be? That Wow. Yeah. So now I understand who it is. But um, yeah. Yeah. So so I do have God Emperor of Doom. I think I'm going to keep going. Okay. Yeah. Well, I really like this universe. I think it's great. I don't always feel like I this storytelling is the best. Um, yeah. But I, but I think in terms of the themes and the world itself, it's, it's great. Like I'm, I'm interested, you know, I agree. I agree. We did a sci-fi book club here and we did Dune and we just had a great discussion. You know, we just, we talked about it for so long. And then the next time, uh, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember that. I think it was left handed darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. Like we talked a lot about that book, but then we sort of were like, it kind of reminded me of how in Dune, you know, we kept like going back. So really, we had like two Dune book clubs. And that's just it. Like when you start, there's so much going on. There's so many different angles being worked. And and I don't know, there's so much to it that like, even though reading it is occasionally a chore, often a chore, you get to the end and it's just like, man, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I, I do sort of, uh, it'd be interesting to read his notes or have sort of yeah. like a compilation from that perspective of just like a field guide. It probably exists somewhere, like a field guide yeah. to Dune that's talking about all the different aspects of this world would be really fascinating. 
yeah a while back uh i was uh, i was in frederick maryland where we vacationed that time Ooh, i was meeting my time. old friend uh, eric mickles yeah, yeah and we went to this bookstore and there was a bunch of like vintage 70s 80s paperbacks of frank herbert books not connected with dune and so i picked up a bunch of them and like, i kind of want to give that a try too to see like what his writing is like in a contained smaller story that that is a standalone you know because yeah. i feel like that's part of the thing to struggle with dune is that he's thinking so far ahead or at least wanting to make sure he leaves himself openings for for future entries that you know sometimes you can get bogged down with that so i want to i want to give one of these a shot and see how that goes but yeah like i said last time and it, and it wasn't just the COVID talking <laughs> i'm i'm with you i'm with you to the end of this dune train so but is it the hunger talking today <laughs> it might be it might be i mean it was a good croissant that i had the jam was really nice but I need protein. Yeah, you know. <laughs> we'll eat some meat tonight. Oh wait. I don't know. I can't. Get some chickpeas. I'll have to eat some. Uh, yeah, I'll eat some black beans and some chi some chickpeas. <laughs> Let me know how you feel after. Some, <laughs> some cheese cubes, and I I think I'll be able to shake after it off. that, yeah. But no, I mean, I, I don't regret reading Children of Dune. Like I, especially because no. I meant I got to continue this journey with you, Nick. Always, always a joy. Yes. Yeah. Um, but to. I do agree with you in terms of what I would suggest for someone else. I would I would just say the first two gives you everything you need to like get your wheels turning but children mm -hmm. and i don't think added very much except for thinking about whatever's happening to leto's body i mean that right that yeah, sort of, of has a yeah. sick weird you fascination about that <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of like those those like pedicure things you could do where you put in the little fish come in and they like eat the dead skin off your it's like that yeah but they keep only going. covering your entire body and turning you into a fish monster oh my gosh and the the other thing i totally forgot to even mention that he marries his sister at the end yes <laughs> i think i yes. shut it out i think i shut it out well that comes up early on in the yeah, book and they're like, we and they're like well no remember like inbreeding is forbidden and i was like do you need to say that <laughs> and and i guessed yeah it was worth uh, worth noting that that's not what you're supposed to do because uh, they yeah they do it his twin sister it's very weird, and I understand because this is going back to Leto's weird body that he has now. Yeah, but like he can't. Yeah. I mean, so essentially they can't consummate the marriage, which which is great. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, so their line will continue through this sort of like consort type of figure. Right. Right. But it's still just like, why do you two need to get married? That was that was weird. I was like, this is like a weird yeah. incest theme that. When they brought it yeah. up initially, I was like, eh, I don't know, it was the 70s or I, like this. I wouldn't probably do this now, but people write weird things. I mean, but then when they, he actually went through with it and was like, no, they got married. That's what makes the most yeah. political sense. I was like, I don't see it. Do you think he's like basically referencing history, you know, histories of monarchies and things past? I mean, do you think he's sort of playing with those themes of things that actually happened in, in empires? I mean, or do you think it was just must be weird I don't know. <laughs> some like weird weird kinkiness that he has <laughs> <laughs> did he create wonder woman no, it was, it was wait a minute William um, no i mean i think he isn't because he even refers to it as sort of like or refers to leto as being some sort of like pharaoh type figure right yeah and that i mean that did happen in egypt right i know it happens in many cultures yeah, sure did. Yeah, yes yeah. but um I, I feel like there was at least one one story of this happening yeah but yeah, I don't, it, it just felt kind of unnecessary and just like a little, it was like he was leaning in instead of just letting it be this like 
yeah. disturbing possibility that the twins were trying to avoid. It became yeah. like the golden path, like the way forward yeah. includes me marrying my sister. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. I, this is probably not a good sign, but I genuinely don't remember how things play out with Jessica. Where, where's Jessica at the end of this? Good question. <laughs> See, this is why he doesn't write good endings. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, okay. Then maybe it's not my fault. Maybe it's Frank Herbert's fault. <laughs> I think we can safely blame him. <laughs> Let's do it. I feel bad because we're bashing him so much. I, I have a deep appreciation, but I don't know. No, I do too. I think that's clear. I mean, I think we both really appreciate the world, and I wish the writing was a little better. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it does make me sad that I do wonder what happened to Jessica. Well, the next time is God Emperor of Dune moving into the eighties. So can't wait. We'll see. We'll see if 80s excess plays out. And I guess it will because he's a giant space world god say, now. So. We'll, we'll get to that. That's, that's nothing if not uh, the excess of the 80s. Yeah, I'm really curious. about. I have so many thoughts about how that's going to work, but we'll get into it. Yeah. We'll, we'll learn. <laughs> I'm very excited for the next, uh, you know, the sequel to the, to the Zendaya Timothy Chalamet one. I do want to watch the miniseries and I still want to watch like the classic movie that, we should watch that I've together. never seen. We should watch it Let's together. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's a commitment that we've made to each other right now that we're going to watch it together. In front of all these listeners. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, do you have COVID yet? Because I don't, because we've been talking about, because I feel okay, but I, how do you feel? Yeah, Feverish? I, I you feeling feel, good? Nope. I feel like I have a regular temperature. Um, no more brain fog than usual. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. Just the usual. Yep. Okay. <laughs> all right well i think uh i think that's gonna do it then on this week's episode of how's things next time when we're back my old friend bo hutchings is gonna be here it's the cozy bros third christmas we're gonna read some uh cheesy christmas uh murder mysteries together so good times and glad tidings will be had by all all right sarah thanks for joining me thanks for having me bye everybody bye.